want to thank uh, you know, John for uh, reading the scripture and thank uh, Deacon Chris for the prayers interceding uh, on our behalf as a church. I do want to congratulate uh, Deacon Chris as well, uh, the winner of our 10th annual Settlers Tournament. Right there it is. Right, You can uh, uh, see that picture. Let's give him a hand. Um, <clears throat> our champion. <clears throat> yes, it's an annual tradition at QPAM, 10 years now on. I, I like... Uh, uh, Elder Tate's face, if you can see, is uh, kind of he's kind of not too happy about losing there, but uh, you know, he's won it already twice. Deacon Chris, in his only second tournament that he's played, he won the championship and the belt. Congrats to you, Deacon Chris. Me, on the other hand, I continue on my losing streak, ten years in a row now. Um, Elder Tate said, uh, you know, way back, that that phrase I, I resonate very well. Always the bridesmaid, never the bride, right? That's for me. That's my life in Settlers. Never the bride. One day, maybe one day it'll happen. But it's good times of fellowship. That's why we get together. And, you know, 10 years uh, since we've been here at QPEM, <clears throat> at least with me, and just uh, walking this journey together, have times of fellowship like this, have a lot of fun. But today's a special day at church as well because we celebrate our greater church's 46th year anniversary. Like, think about that. 46 years of God's faithfulness over KAPC. CQ. Praise God for that. Right? I mean, wow. Four decades long, continuing on. And today, as QPEM, also on the same day, we celebrate QPEM's 26th year anniversary. 26 years. More than a quarter century of God working and walking and, and maturing our English congregation. Now to the point that we have four elders overseeing the, the members here. We have financial autonomy. We have a future uh, you know, calling to lead this missional church. I mean, it's amazing what God has done. We thank God today, right? In, in days like this, like anniversary Sundays, we reflect on, on his overflowing grace, his love throughout the years. Today we have a, a special four o'clock uh, commemoration service. If you can join us, we're going to have English translation available at four o'clock. Um, the whole church is going to gather together uh, in the main sanctuary. And we'll also have a retirement ceremony to really uh, encourage and bless and, and thank um, Elder uh, uh, Kim. Uh, that's uh, uh, Elder Dave and, and Deacon Unashin's father. He's retiring today after decades of faithful service to our church. So we're going to also... Uh, Praise God for that as well. So a lot going on today. You know, we're continuing on this series, right? We've been starting the series since the beginning of the year. Uh, I've been taking you through some Old Testament passages. I think a lot of our, our devotions, we, we definitely are familiar more with the New Testament. So I've been more intentional trying to lead us to the Old Testament to help us to realize that this is all part of God's story, right? Not just, you know, what we know in the New Testament, uh, of course, uh, the Jesus and, and what he's done for us. But this whole book, you know, from Genesis all the way through Revelation, it's God's story. Uh, he's the director, the greatest story ever told and continues to be told. Um, passages where God has spoken through his messengers, his prophets, uh, to remind us all of his story. And, and I've been sharing that he's invited you to be part of that story. How amazing is that, right? He's invited you to be part of his theodrama. In a few weeks ago, we looked at 2 Samuel 7, how God speaks through the prophet Nathan to King David at that point. And he's saying rather David than building a house for Yahweh out of cedar and whatnot, God declares that he will instead build a house of 
David, a house for David, for his people. That's the Davidic covenant. Uh, God's story continues on in 2 Samuel 7. Uh, last week we, we, we read uh, about how he, he said, I will raise an offspring for you. That will come from your body. Uh, I'll establish his kingdom. He'll build a house in my name. Establish the throne of his kingdom forever, of course, pointing to the future king to come, the Messiah, Jesus Christ. And then 1 Samuel 8, last week, right, we talked about how God spoke to his prophet Samuel, uh, how the people of Israel were demanding a king. Give us a king. Why? So that we can be like the other nations all around us. And we want that comfort, security, and, and whatnot that other people seem to have. But God gives us a warning last week, right, of what happens when we demand such kings, kings that we think are going to give us what we need to achieve our goals, our plans, our, our lives. But he said, we're not going to like it, believe me. You're not going to like that once you uh, demand such kings. They're not going to bring us what we think they will. And by God's love, he gives us a warning last week to listen, to turn back to him. Uh, even through the evil intentions of the Israelites, the demand for a king, God gives us the everlasting king in his son, Jesus Christ. Right? That's God's story, and it's continuing to unfold. Our savior king, Jesus Christ, the one we have come to worship today, the one who gives us the hope, the reason to live, sets us free from our sin, all our fears, our shame, and he's with us, the only one, who can help us in our time of need, right? Now, now, most of us know this. We believe it, or at least we say we do. We've heard the gospel many times before. Yes, Jesus is king. He's Lord. The question is, is Jesus really reflected of the Lord in our life today? Is he really being lived out as the Lord of our life? As he calls us as king to obedience, the love of Christ, as Paul says, it ought to compel us to persuade others to know Jesus. Are we living these truths out, living that calling? Luke 16, 13 says very plainly, no servant can serve two masters, right? Either he will hate the one or love the other. He will be devoted to the one and despise the other. That's basically what it means that you can't have more than two real kings in your life. These kings that we, you know, crown and we obey and we submit to, we can't have two masters, and as Christians, as believers, as followers of Christ, we say, Jesus is my king. And yes, Jesus, you are my Lord. The question as we reflect on this coming season now, is he the king or the Lord over our life in terms of our time that we spend day to day, the 24 hours that we have each day? Is he the king reigning over our time? Is he the king over our possessions, the things that we buy, and the king over our bank accounts, our checking accounts? Look at what we spend our money in. Is he the reason of why we're buying things and spending things? Is he the king over our possessions, over our speech even, how we even speak to one another? Is he reflected as the Lord in how we encourage and uplift? Is he the king over our thoughts even? What are we thinking about? When we get up in the morning, the first thing, what do you think about, right? What are we turning to? You know, the first thing, our phones, we open up our Instagram feeds, our stories. We read that. We go to our stock tips. We go to our, our, our news reports. We go to all these other things. Is Jesus the king even over our thoughts? And even for our families, is he king over our children, our families? All these questions. As we reflect, I, I share this quote often. Every time I go to missions, I, I, I give these seminars. I share this one quote by missionary Hudson Taylor all the time because it resonates with me and I hope with you as well. He said, missionary Taylor, if Jesus is not Lord over all, then he is not Lord at all, right? I love that quote because it's deep. If Jesus is not Lord over all of your life, 
your time, your possessions, your thoughts, your actions, your speech. If Jesus is not Lord over all, then really he's not Lord at all. Because how can we call him Lord or King if he's not really Lord and King over all? And that's a very profound quote. I'd like us to reflect on that today. Um, is Jesus the Lord of your life? If not, how can we sort of understand how that comes to be? I'd like you to take you today to another Old Testament passage, another text where the people of God face this very challenge in their life. Is God really their Lord, their King? You know, as we continue with God's story, God has to teach us this lesson today. And today, I believe he's going to show us, I think this is an application passage today, in how we can turn back to him, how truly we can have Jesus to be the Lord and the King over our lives. So would you turn with me to 2 Chronicles 15? We're going to really go through this whole chapter, but we're going to go pretty, uh, pretty quickly through these verses. Um, as a background and a context of 2 Chronicles 15, there's a time again still where Israel's divided, right? We had the northern kingdom, the southern kingdom, Israel in the north, Judah in the south, and the king of Judah at that time is King Asa, okay? And much of this nation along, uh, you know, in this time, Judah has abandoned God, has forsaken him, turned to other detestable idols, and God has a word today for the king of Judah, Asa. Look with me in verse 1 again, 2 Chronicles 15. Again, God speaks through his messengers again, right? His prophets. And today we see the spirit of God came upon Azariah, the son of Oded. Uh, the prophet, his name is Azariah. And it says here in verse 1, the spirit of God has come upon him. It's important because again, as we learned, maybe even with Nathan back in the time when he gave advice to David, it's not just Azariah's uh, the wisdom or his human reasoning that he's sharing this advice or wisdom to, to King Asa. No, this means that what he's about to say, his words are God's words, right? These are words from God himself. And so the prophet of the Lord Azariah comes to King Asa with the word in verse 2. And he went and met Asa and said to him, Hear me, Asa. Hear me, all of Judah and Benjamin. The Lord is with you while you are with him. If you seek him, he will be found by you. But if you forsake him, he will forsake you. Prophet Azariah is reminding the king, here, this is how God works. This is how things have been, right? In verse 3, for a long time, Israel, you were without the true God, without a teaching priest and without the law. In verses 5 and 6, in those times there was no peace to him who went out or to him who came in. For great disturbances afflicted all the inhabitants of the land. They were in fact broken in pieces. Nations were crushed by nation and city by city. For God troubled them with every sort of distress. And this is, in a nutshell, this is life without God, right? Some of us wonder, you know, what, you know, what does it look like, a life without God? Well, here it is, right here. As the prophet Azariah speaks of, there's no peace without God. He says there's great disturbances afflicting all the people. Nations are crushed and broken. I was away back then. It's the same today. Nothing has changed there, right? Without God, this is what we see in this world, this fallen, sinful world that we live in. Without God, there's no peace. There's war, disturbances. Nations are after each other. In distress, great disturbance. Without God, there is no peace. But God says there is something that you can do that needs to be done. And this is the profound point in this entire text today. It's, it's clear in verse 2. 
He says, the Lord is with you while you are with him, yes. But here's, listen up, he says, church. If you seek him, he will be found by you. But if you forsake him, he will forsake you. Without God, there's no peace. But if you seek him, if you seek him, he will be found by you. Sometimes, you know, when we preach as pastors, you know, we don't want to bring the you know, Hebrew, Greek, and all that stuff into it because that's going to be confusing. And, you know, uh, you know, we're not trying to, you know, just look all, you know, hey, look with me, look what I know. But sometimes it's important to bring the original text into context, especially in, in, in the grammar of how the text has been written. And especially in verse 2, it's very important how this sentence is structured grammatically in the Hebrew. I mean, for me, grammar is not a strength. I was an engineer for 10 years, and I you know, never wrote papers or anything. I, I don't read books. And so, so it has been a painful experience. But, but God, in his provision, in his plan, right, he, he brought me you know, as an engineer, but then to, to learn uh, uh, you know, English, <laughs> so to speak, uh, at the age of, I think, 27, I, I, I studied for the GMAT exam, right, the, the business school entrance exam. So I had to learn the verbal okay, English grammar for the first First time in my life, at the age of 27, I had to read Strunk and White's, you know, grammatical books of how English is written and such. And so I'm reading these, and I learned grammar. It's very important. And, and as I'm sharing this, and now, you know, and I'm seeing this passage, there's a very important difference grammatically between some verbs that we see in Scripture that are active verbs and that are passive verbs. Let me explain what that, that means. There, there's some commands or imperatives that God gives in the Bible that are active verbs. That means that the subject is the one that's performing this action, and then some commands that we see that are passive, where the subject is not performing the action. In fact, the action is being performed on the subject itself. For example, let me, you know, this morning, you know, I drove to church, right? Uh, I drove my three kids to church. You know, Selah obviously did not drive to church. You know, she was a recipient of my action, right? Selah didn't drive. She was the recipient of my driving the car. So all Selah did was just receive it. She just stared out the window and just made some noises and sang some songs, and, and she was happy, right? And so, so I was an active, uh, you know, uh, imperative, uh, you know, person, the subject, who's doing the action, and my three kids and Kathy, they're receiving, passively receiving this driving to church there, right? Here, God is saying very importantly, if you seek him actively, then he will be found by you. If you seek God, that's not a passive sense. That's not just, you know, you know I'm just going to sit in the car, stare out the window, enjoy the ride. No, it's actually, if you're driving, if you're putting that into action, then he will be found by you. The prophet's calling upon the king. Asa, be the one who seeks after God. For if you seek after him, then he will be found surely by you. So often we forget this, I believe, this call or command or imperative. We, you know, we're Christians. We've come to church. We, we hear messages every week. And, and yeah, God, you know, Jesus, I, I get the story. I'm part of God's story. It's all good. But, but sometimes it's almost like, you know, we're just like kind of caught up in the story day to day, week to week. We become this complacent, almost background you know, role players, right, in God's story. We, we, we're, what do you call those, you know, the, the people that don't really have big roles in, in the scripts, right? They're just they're extras. We're just extras, we feel. 
You know, the, the role players are key actors are, you know, maybe the missionaries or the key evangelists in this world, you know, those, those disciple makers, you know, they're the actors. And me, I'm just a role player or an extra, right? I see myself. I'm just going to you know, do my part, you know, just in this story of mine, but I'm really not that important. I'm just an extra in this script of ours. And we become complacent in our faith, in our walk. It's almost like we're, we're the ones still kind of waiting passively for God to work, you know, incredibly in my life. Right? Azariah's message is not something complacent or casual. It's not a mere suggestion to the king. He's imploring the king. He's imploring the king to do something, to act. He's not just saying, just, just, just keep wandering your, your life, Asa. Maybe, you know, you'll end up stumbling upon God one day. Or maybe you'll find that. No, he's challenging Asa, calling him. His message is intentional. Seek the Lord, Asa. Seek him actively. Take action in your life. You're not just an extra. You're an actor and an actress in the greatest theodrama. Here's your role. Take it. Take action. Seek the Lord, he says. Now, it's interesting what Azariah says next. See, see what happens after you take action and seek the Lord. It's very interesting. Again, if you seek him, verse 2, if you seek the Lord actively, intentionally, he will be found by you. If you seek him, he will be found by, God will be found by you. What does that mean? I'm, yeah, I looked at different versions of, of, of this verse here. Um, the most literal translation of the Bible that we have is the NASB, right? We use the ESV, but the most literal you know, Hebrew to, to English translation we have is the NASB Bible. And what the NASB says is, if you seek him, he will let you find him. That's interesting. If you seek him, God will let you find him. The difference is subtle but very important. How so? What's God saying? That, you know, what does that mean by that, right? We often think, again, God's, you know, he should be the one seeking after me. You know, God, God's the you know, director. You know, he's supposed to be you know, directing me and all this. Stuff. Yes, of course, that's true. But, but here... God is showing us and teaching us there's actually another way that God is actually seeking after us. There's another way that God seeks after you. It's not just, you know, just, just blatant, just he just, you know, comes after you and grabs you and just pulls you out of your miry pit and just says, come on, you know, just get back. There's sometimes he does that, right? But, but there's another way here that God seeks after us. And, and we see here, God seeks us by how? By desiring to be found by us, church. God seeks us by desiring to be found by us. If you seek him, God will let you find him. Think about that for a moment. What does that mean? <laughs> I thought about a, maybe an analogy here. 
You've all played hide and seek. We love hide and seek. We've grown up playing hide and seek. Who doesn't like playing hide and seek as a kid, especially, right? I play hide and seek quite often at home with my kids, right? The three kids, Caleb and Luke, of course, now they're experts at the game, right? They know exactly where to hide, the crevices in the household, uh, you know, super quiet. They understand the context of the game. It's me, daddy, closing my eyes for 30 seconds or whatever, and they're trying to find them in this house. And if I cannot find them, they win. They get the concept of this game. Sayla, on the other hand, she doesn't quite get it yet, right? She's, she's, she's a little over two years old, and she still she loves to play the game with us, and she wants to co- come join our, our family hide and seek game. But she doesn't quite grasp uh, the object of this game, right? She, for Sayla, the, the, the fun is actually not in actually you know trying to hide and be quiet and whatnot, or or trying to you know find someone you know just you know just where they are. It's entirely in something else. And see how what, what she does is says, "Daddy's closing my eyes for thirty or seconds or sixty seconds." And, and Sayla, she 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 makes me close my eyes. She gets that part. But then, you know, it just, she doesn't get anything else after that, okay? Because what happens is she just runs off, but, but she doesn't go far with her brothers in closets and crevices. She, she literally goes for the, the, the first object that she sees in the living room, right? Whatever it may be, this lamppost, okay, which basically has no coverage. Just goes beyond any object. She just kind of stands there, right? Sits there, right? Just stands and just, just like waits, right? And then she doesn't even wait quietly. Like, okay, ready or not? Here I come, daddy's coming. And Sailor's like, ooh, she's like dancing. She's like, she's making all this noise, like, daddy, daddy. Right? She peeks her head out. You know, she's like, yeah, look at me. You know? I'm like, and I'm pretending, of course, as a dad. Sailor, where are you, Sailor? Where are you? And she thinks I'm probably blind. You know? so I'm like, like, where are you? Like, she's like, right here, dad. But I'm like, where are you? She's like, just, just kind of laughing at me almost. Right? And finally, she jumps out at me. She's like, daddy, I'm here. I'm like, Sailor, I found you. Wow, she's so happy. She runs over to me. We hug each other. Like, yeah, we did it. Not really, right? You have no clue how this game works. Right? That's how Sailor thinks. For, the, for her, the joy is not actually, you know, hiding and, and, and being secretive and not being. She actually wants to be found, right? The joy is when her daddy sees her and finds her and, and sees her and grabs her and loves her, loves her and kisses her. That's the object of the game for her, right? Her great joy is to be found. She wants to be found by her dad. You know? See, kind of God in a similar way. If you seek him, he will be found by you. God wants us to seek him. He wants to be found by you. Do you understand? God wants you to find him. You know, it's, it's, it's not that, you know, he's like hiding, you know, in some secret location. And some of us, again, maybe picture again God in this, you know, third realm, like, you know, in heaven somewhere, far away, hiding. No, no, he's right there in your life, all around, you know. He's right behind, you know, there's this lamppost, you know, that's right there. You can see him. You can see him. He's waiting for you every day. He's not, he's not trying to avoid you or, or run away from you. He, he's there to be found, waiting for you with joy and anticipation like my daughter Sailor's face. Just, yeah, look at me, come here. All we need to do is just go and seek him, he says. Seek him, and he will be found by you. James chapter four, verse eight says, draw near to God, and he will draw near to you. It kind of shows how cleanse your hands, you sinners. <laughs> Purify your heart, you double-minded. Draw near to him. He will draw near to you. 
Today, you know, you know, this applicatory text is asking, how then do I seek him, right? How do I find him, okay? okay God's story, I'm part of it. Fine, you know, he's the king. How does Jesus be the king of my life, the Lord of my life, over all of my life? God shows us how in the remaining verses today. What does it mean to seek him? Look at me in verse eight. It says, as soon as Asa heard these words, prophecy of Azariah, the son of Obed, he took courage and he put away the detestable idols from all the land of Judah and Benjamin and from the cities that he had taken in the hill country of Ephraim. And he repaired the altar of the Lord that was in front of the vestibule of the house of the Lord. You see what Asa is doing here, church? How do we seek after God? What did Asa do? As soon as he hears these words, what does it say? He took courage, and what did he do? First thing he did, he put away the detestable idols. In his life, in his land, he put them away. What's the first step in seeking after God truly, that he would be found by us? Get rid of the idols in our lives. We know, we heard this term idols before. What does that mean? These are things that are distracting us getting in the way of this love relationship with God, okay? Remove these things, the obstacles that are preventing us from seeking or finding the Lord. What are these things in your life, in our lives, that are preventing or getting in the way of seeking after the Lord every day? I'm, I'm, I, I, this is probably the biggest thing, right? <laughs> I'm t- for me, right? We're, we're, we're literally stuck on this. It's sad, but that's the society, the generation that we live in. We're stuck. The minute we get up, we go to the bathroom, we turn this on, you know, just scroll, 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 read, read, read. I'm not saying we can't get rid of our phone. <laughs> Practically, what can we? Asa eliminated these detestable idols. What is an idol? Idols that we place above as our king. You know, an idol is something that rules us, controls us, you know, uh, you know, forces us to do uh, whatever the idol, you know, is meant to, to be worshipped, how in whatever way. And it's forcing us to obey and follow. And, and, and what Asa did is he eliminated, God, he got rid of these gods, these false gods, these shrines and temples that were competing with the people's devotion for the only God, Yahweh. He got rid of it. He just did it. <laughs> I mean, how? He literally just got rid of it. What else is there to say? He got rid of it, cleaned house. It's not easy. No one's saying this is easy by any means. No, in verse 8, it says very clearly, he took courage at the beginning of verse 8. Asa took courage and put away the detestable idols. Yes, it takes courage. It takes courage to put away counterfeit gods, false glories that we have in our lives. But once you recognize what those are, and we know what they are, what what gets in the way, right, of of spending time with God, you know, in our Read Scripture app in the Word every morning, or or in times of prayer, you know, what gets in the way, right? Um, He put it away. He recognized what they are. He cleaned house. He cleaned house. We got to clean house sometimes, right? To make space for uh, something or someone else, you got to clean house, make space for that, right? You know? For us to seek after God and to grow this love relationship with God and His Son, Jesus Christ, you just can't just, just put God into our, our already cluttered life and just expect, you know, okay, He's going to fit in there nicely. It doesn't work that way. Our lives are already full, aren't they? 
Our, our lives are already, you know, filled to the brim with everything in our, in our you know, busy, full, you know, hectic life day to day. How can you just try to squeeze God? It doesn't work that way, remember? Again, it's God's story, not ours. Doesn't mean that we, you know, we fit God into whatever way that conveniences us or whatnot. No, you know, we're part of his story. We're fit into his greater plan. So then what? We got clean house. Make space in our life to actually have God you know, work and, and grow, and he's inviting us into his story. Clean house, clear out space. And I mean, this, as simple as, you know, something like in this past, you know, few weeks, I told you guys about, you know, my family room, and, and it's, you know, there's stuff there, and the boys have their little hockey area, but Sailor has no place to play. She has no place for, as, as a toddler to, to play. And so, so there's one area that she could play, but she cannot because there's one big monstros- monstrosity there, and I keep telling you about this Bowflex, right? It's there, it's still sitting there, right? And I told you about, you know, I'm going to commit to as Kathy's parents and, and Kathy's like, please just get rid of clean house, clean this. We need that space for Sailor. We need that valuable space in our house. And I keep saying, I'm going to work out. I never did. And finally, I said on the New Year's Sunday, the first Sunday of the year, okay, you know what? It's not going to happen. Anyone want it, right? And, and Levy said, yeah, I'll take it. <laughs> I'll take it. All right, then let's just do it. It's yours. You know, come on. And so, so we said it this Saturday, Levy's coming with some other young adults with a U-Haul truck. He's going to take away this monstrosity, this Bowflex that's been sitting there for 10 years now. He's going to take it away out of my house into yours and Benita's. Okay, Levy, enjoy that, Benita, wherever you are. Please, you know, enjoy it, use it, love it. But, but for us, it's a space that will be cleared away. And now in that space that has been doing nothing, accumulating just, you know, stuff, you know, clothes and hang. Now we have space to add into that place. Sailor's going to be very happy now, right? Sometimes we need to clean house. We need to actually take action and make some decisions to clean out some things in our life. Can't just fit some things in uh, when there's no space to do so, right? Spiritually, you know, we need to <laughs> clean this place uh, in, our, in our hearts. I wrote this quote. It says, the turning point in our lives is when we stop seeking the gods that we want and we start seeking the God who is. And that's very profound. This turning point, I'm telling you, in our life is going to be, <laughs> it's going to be profound when we hear that, you know, meet this epiphany, moment of epiphany. The turning point is when we stop seeking after the gods that we think that we want. You know, give me a king. Give me a king like the nations. You know, I want this. I need this. When we stop seeking after these false counterfeit glories and start seeking the God who is, who was and is and is to come. Then strong things start to really change. I'm telling you, clean house. Start seeking after God. There's another thing that we see here, practically. I think, you know, practically in verse eight at the, uh, at the end of verse eight, we see something else that King Asa did here to seek God. After he put away the detestable idols, what did he do at the very bottom of this? First, there's, there it is. It says, he repaired the altar of the Lord that was in front of the vestibule of the house of the Lord. He repaired the altar of the Lord. Hmm. You know, the temple, of course, is where, you know, the people of God comes together to worship God in ancient Israel. It's where the people encounter and commune with God, right? We know that Israel history, it's broken. It, it, it's, it's not there. What, what does Asa do? He rebuilds the altar. He intentionally rebuilds it, puts it back together. He creates a place, a significant way for the people to connect 
back with God, church. You see, to seek after the Lord, to seek after him intentionally, active, not only cleaning house, not only maybe getting rid of some things that are getting in the way with our relationship with God, but we also need to put things in place that help us connect with the living God, don't we? Things, you know, that we need to repair the altar in our life, whatever that is. Repair, put things in place that will allow us to connect with God. There's no other way better than the Bible. That's a simple and yet profound as that. How do we connect with God? How do we seek after him? Go to him in his word. We can hear God from many different ways. You know, he speaks to us maybe, you know, through, through you know, pastors or other mentors that you have or other friends. Uh, he, maybe he speaks to you in prayer. You know, it can be, but this is a sure way he speaks to us. The Bible, he speaks to you today. It's living, active. Go to him. Put these places, uh, you know, in. This is the year of the Bible, isn't it? And we talked about that, how often we keep remembering, you know, this is the year of the Bible. Let's, let's put these altars, rebuild these altars in our life. I love how the small groups are doing this. Some of the small groups, they're, they're committing through their cacao chat groups to, to have accountability, right? To do the Read Scripture app, to, to, to encourage each other to read the Bible every day. We need that accountability, you know? We really do. And so it's happening. I'm seeing that. I'm loving that to hear that. You know, some of you are, are, are in discipleship every week now. You know, you, you have that, 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 that weekly, you know, time of, of equipping and, and learning together. You know, pray about discipleship. That's the next step after small group, right, in, in the QPEM journey here, maturing faith, right? Some of you, you know, coming out to weekly prayers you know, on Wednesday nights and, and you, 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 you're, you're communing with God in prayer, right? How beautiful is that, you know? Something in your life that will be intentional to rebuild this altar of love. Clean house, build it. How fitting that, you know, this, I guess, uh, month, uh, you know, it is uh, a very important season coming. I'm going to share that, you know, just in a little bit. But um, cleaning house, we can fast, you know. Fasting is a way that we kind of get rid of some things, like, you know. Uh, in this upcoming season, we, 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 we put away some things that have been consuming our time or whatever focus, and, and we fast from those things, not just kind of giving up, you know, fatty foods or, or even Facebook or whatever else just for the sake of it, but, but intentionally using that time to seek after God. You know, these are ways, practical ways that we do so, right? And in then... In doing that, you know, what do we see here? The people doing after they rebuild the altar in verses 9 to 15, we, we see this gathering in verse 9. They gather together in Judah and Benjamin. All of them, the great numbers, had deserted to him from Israel when they saw the Lord. And they were gathered at Jerusalem together. They sacrificed to the Lord that day, all these things there. Verse 15, all Judah rejoiced. and They had sworn with their heart. They sought him with their whole desire. And he was found by them. The Lord gave them rest all around. I mean, it's beautiful. What do we see here? It's not just an individual kind of, you know, cleaning my own house, my space, and then I'm going to just build my little altar to God personally and, and just do it that way. No, it's a corporate gathering. It's a corporate assembly of God's people, his family coming together. It's a, that's an important aspect here in this uh, verse as well of this corporate aspect of the church, that we're to do this together. It's a journey that we share together, church. That's why God has given QPEM to you, to share this journey together, to seek after God, not just by yourself, but with one another, with your brother and sister to your left and right, to do this together in community. It's not just a private faith. It's, it's a corporate faith, and we find strength in community, and actually we can do it 
really together in community. I encourage you, if you haven't joined small group, there's small groups that meet every other week. And you can see that in the bulletin, who the small group leaders are. Join a small group. College students, come out to Friday night. Corporate gathering and worship, come out. It's there for you, right? Wednesday night prayers are there for you. There's ways that we can get together corporately. That's what the people of God have done. And once they do that, we see the result of what happens when you clean house. When you build and repair the altar in your life and then come together, assemble and gather, we see the result in verse 15. All of Judah rejoices. Seeks after God with their whole desire. And he was found by them, church. God was found by them. Close it off. The Lord gave them rest all around. The Lord gave them rest all around, church. I think this is very timely and fitting that God gives us this message today. Do you know what this coming week is, church? It's very significant, right, in the Christian calendar. You know what Wednesday is? Ash Wednesday. It begins the 40-day period that we, we celebrate, commemorate in the, in the church, right? Not just a Catholic church, but in Protestant churches as well. We observe a 40-day period before Easter, We're called to come together, to take inventory of our life, commune with God more intimately, clear out space and and take away these distractions uh, that are keeping us from a commitment with him. And in essence, we're preparing this season of growth to celebrate the greatest joy we have on Easter Sunday, the Lord's resurrection, right? Jesus Christ, right? You know, we're we're, we're getting there. Next Monday, the KPCQ, our greater church, is gonna start the 40 days of Lent prayers. And that's, that's amazing that they can do that. You know, every morning, 5.45, if you want to join, there's going to be English translation come. Join for that starting next Monday, not tomorrow, next Monday. But QPEN, we're also going to have a time of prayer the last two weeks leading up to Easter where we can also corporately come together and get our hearts prepared for Easter. We're getting ready for this time. 40 days of seeking church, okay? 40 days coming up of preparation. A time where we can seek after the king. Seek after our Lord. God says, clean up. Let's clean up. Create space. Make space. Repair. Build the altar back to him. And get together, church. Gather together. And he will be found by you, church. He will be found. In finding God, may we experience the peace and the rejoicing that God so desires for all of you today. As you find him, as you seek him, may you experience his satisfaction, his joy, and may you be able to experience a rejoicing that only our Father, Jesus, and his son, Jesus, can provide. May Jesus Christ be the king of your heart this coming season. Let's pray.